Good morning, church family. And are we thankful for having another day that the Lord has made? It's a day that we've never seen before. It's a day that we will never see again. So we have to be thankful for this moment and we have to give God praise for that. I'm so excited to bring a word from the Lord from you on this Sunday morning. But nonetheless, before I jump into the word, I just want to say a special thanks. A special thanks to Karen Jones, who was over our food pantry ministry and her family. Because on this past Saturday, what we did was relaunch our food pantry to feed our community. Sadly, over the course of a few years, our, our food pantry has kind of slowly mellowed out to the point where it had become non-existent. But with the leadership we have here at the church, you all stepped up, we came together, we figured out what we needed to do, and now we've gotten our food pantry rejuvenated. So I want you to spread the word about our food pantry, spread the word about the resources that we've received as far as food, as far as snacks, as far as things that can be utilized to feed uh, families in need. And brothers and sisters, if you know anybody that can benefit from our food pantry, let them know that we will be giving away food in boxes every second and fourth Saturday of the month. That started this past Saturday, and we're so thankful to get back into our communities and do what we need to do to serve the city of Conley, Georgia. Amen. I'm so proud of you all, and I'm so thankful for that. Everybody that volunteered their time, everybody that gave somewhat of their donations and, and a little bit of their own food for this food pantry, we thank you for that. I also want to thank my deacons. My deacons did a great job of cleaning up uh, Conley Road at that intersection in that area that street right before you get to our church. Our deacons are also working hard here, brothers and sisters, just because we're in a pandemic and just because the pandemic has stopped some of our traditional worship, our ability to be able to congregate in this church setting doesn't mean our service should stop. So brothers and sisters, I pray that that inspired you to keep finding ways to serve, to keep finding ways to give back to God and not let a pandemic stop your praise or your service here on earth. Amen. So brothers and sisters, on this Sunday, I want to remind you that it is Women's History Month. And in celebration of Women's History Month, I decided to come from a book in the Bible that is well known to most women and from a specific chapter and area of the Bible that I wanna shed light on that will probably give you more insight to the influence of women. You all probably know where I'm coming from. I'm coming from the book of Esther, and I'm coming from Esther chapter 1, verse 12. You're only going to get one verse, but this one verse is the hinge verse for the power and influence of women in this text. I'm excited to give it to you. It's Women's History Month, and I'm going to show you the power of women. I've actually entitled this sermon, The Power of Women. So men, take a back seat. It's all right. We'll be back soon. This is an empowerment passage of scripture and sermon for our women. There's something you can still take from it as men, so don't touch it. turn your TV off. Don't, don't close your ears. Remember, this service or this word coming that I got from the Lord is going to be something that will inspire your spirit, something that will give you and rejuvenate your heart, and it's coming from the book of Esther. This is Esther chapter 1, verse 12. Pay attention. I'll probably read it twice because I don't want you to miss it. Here we go. But Queen Vashti, somebody at home say Vashti, refused to come at the king's command mm. conveyed by the eunuchs. At this, the king was enraged. Somebody say enraged. And his anger burned within him. 
Yes, brothers and sisters, I'm going to say that one more time. Looks like Queen Vashti has made her king upset. The text says, but Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, conveyed by the eunuchs, and the king was enraged, and his anger burned within him. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. Brothers and sisters, if you haven't noticed, women are the most underrated characters in the Bible. I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. I said women are the most underrated characters in the Bible. When you think of prominent characters in the Bible, traditionally, we only think of men. I guarantee you can think of five prominent men in the Bible faster than you can think of five influential women. Come on, try to do it. I know you can. You see, unfortunately, the Bible illustrates a negative connotation of women, depicting women as the property of men, conduits for childbirth, distractions from righteousness, and only valued for beauty, virginity, and reproduction. Oh yeah, I'm going there. Brothers and sisters, women historically have been disenfranchised from being confined for being confined to domestic roles, not having the right to vote, not receiving equal pay or equal opportunities as men, body shaming, and being at the mercy of public opinion of how you should dress or wear your hair. I'm coming down somebody's street. It's all right. Here we go. Even in the church. Hold on now. To this day, women do not have equal opportunities to preach and lead congregations because of patriarchy and the misinterpretation of scripture. Brothers and sisters, although women have been marginalized and overlooked in the Bible and by society, I came to let you know on this Women's History Month. I came to let you know on this Sunday morning that God has not forgotten women, that God can and does use women equally as much as he uses men, that God, God does not evaluate us based on gender. God evaluates our heart alone. Brothers and sisters, Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. These are my words. This is what the book says. Maybe I need to read it to you again. It says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor nor free, nor is there male or female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, God has a way of taking the marginalized, the forgotten, the abused, the, the dejected, and subjected of society and making them MVPs for his plan. If you don't know what an MVP is, that means a most valuable player. Brothers and sisters, this sermon will take the story of two women to make one point. I don't want you to miss this. This, 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 this. this sermon will take the story of two women to make one point. Yes, you see, the lesson here, the message here, 
That if you don't get anything else, I want you to see through the work and through the character of these two women is that God will use what we think we control to show us who's in control. Hmm? I know you don't see it yet. I'm going to break it down in the text. I said God will use what we think we control to show us who is in control. You see, this is a lesson that the people in the Bible never received. You see, you can only get this through looking back. You see, well, basically what I mean when I say that is the people in the book of Esther wouldn't have gotten this message that I'm about to preach. Not because there's a 2,000 year difference, but because sometimes when you're in a situation, you're not, you're not able to understand the magnitude or the theology or able to see how God is working in the midst of your situation. Sometimes it's only when people go back and recount to you all you've been through. Sometimes it's only when people go back and look at all the things you overcome. Sometimes it's only when you go back and start counting your blessings that you're able to see the hand of God. You're able to see how God has been working in your life. You're able to see that it wasn't by your will, but God's will that things were done. Brothers and sisters, God has a way of taking what we think we control to show us who is in control. Move with me. Here we go. Watch this. Don't fall asleep. You see, the book of Esther is a very interesting book of the Bible. The author is unknown. And although the author is unknown, the author makes known several characters in the Bible. Our main characters here in the context of this book are characters such as Esther, Vashti, King Xerxes, Mordecai, and Haman. And brothers and sisters, the reason these names are so critical to the text is because this array or this star-studded cast of characters in the text, in the book of Esther, paint the picture of God's grace and God's glory. Brothers and sisters, let me let you in on a little secret you may not have known about the book of Esther. The book of Esther almost didn't make it into the canonized Bible. The book of Esther has been debated whether or not it is even a good book to reference because of the fact that it's missing something key to Scripture. Can you guess what it is? Brothers and sisters, the, the book of Esther is so unique that it's one of two books that do not mention the name of God at all. I bet you didn't know that. I said the book of Esther is one of two books that doesn't mention the name of God at all. The book of Esther doesn't mention the name of God and the Song of Psalms does not mention the name of God. And because of this, scholars and the people that came together to canonize the Bible almost felt as though that this book did not belong. Brothers and sisters, when I say canonize the Bible, I'm hoping that you understand that before we got the Bible all nice and beautifully put together like this, the Bible wasn't like this. There were just different books of the Bible that were written down on scrolls or people's pieces of paper that people had to reference and use, but it wasn't all compiled together. And over time, 
brothers and sisters, through the different councils and through, 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 through different scholars and redactions and things of that nature, the Bible was comprised and put together. So basically, the Bible is a library. A library of books that tells the last will and testament of our Lord and Savior. The, the Bible is a historical novel or a historical museum, I should say, that takes us from creation, takes us through God's chosen people, brings us all the way through the lineage of Jesus Christ, his birth, his life, his resurrection, and then shows us how we should live from day to day. Brothers and sisters, this is a library. And the book of Esther almost didn't make it in the library just because it doesn't mention the name of God. But brothers and sisters, the main point of this, the takeaway from this, that you should take away from this book of Esther before we even get into the scripture itself, is that just because you can't see evidence of God, doesn't mean that God isn't present. Come on, somebody. I said, just because you don't see the name of God in the traditional way you've always seen God doesn't mean God's name isn't written all over your story. Brothers and sisters, don't write out your story or omit aspects of your story just because you don't see God working or just because God isn't showing up in your life the same way he's shown up in other people's lives. Brothers and sisters, they almost omitted the book of Esther. All because this book didn't look like the other books. This book didn't mention God the way the other books in the Bible mentioned God. Brothers and sisters, the message just from the book itself is don't reject God because you don't see evidence of him in your life. Brothers and sisters, the book itself is preaching. Brothers and sisters, before we get to the text, there's a message just in the book itself that the biblical scholars thought maybe we don't need this book named by a woman. Maybe we don't need this text because it doesn't mention the name of God. And brothers and sisters, I want to make clear to you that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is working in your life, regardless if you see him or not. He's working in your life, regardless if you know he's there or not. Brothers and sisters, we can't reject God just because we don't see God. Imagine if Joseph in the Bible rejected God when he was sold into slavery by his brothers Imagine if Moses rejected God after killing the Egyptian and running away to the desert. Imagine if David had rejected God after receiving favor from King Saul and having to hide in the wilderness as a result of, 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 of King Saul's jealousy. Imagine if, if the other Joseph who was Mary's husband, rejected God because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, through his wife without him even knowing. Brothers and sisters, what if these people in the Bible rejected God because God didn't show up the way they wanted him to? Brothers and sisters, the book of Esther is a testament to our everyday relationship with God. You see, God impacts our lives whether we acknowledge him or not. God is working whether we know it or not. Don't be like the biblical scholars and, and organizers of this canonized work of literature in which we, which we read 
that question the necessity of the story because God doesn't look the same as he does in other areas of the Bible. Don't be like them. Be better than them, brothers and sisters, and recognize God moving through your life. You see, God reminds me of a director, like a director of a movie. You see, oftentimes the actors and actresses are more famous than the director is. Oftentimes we know their name more so than we know the director's name, but just because we know their name, just because we see them on the screen, and just because they're more prevalent in the story than the director himself doesn't mean that the director is not at work. It doesn't mean that the director doesn't have a valuable role. Brothers and sisters, the evidence of the director is all through the script of the story. The evidence of the director is all through the plot and theme of the story. The evidence of the director is evident in the very fact that the characters have a job in which they're playing. Brothers and sisters, just like a director in a movie or a director in a play, God is the director of our lives that maybe there are moments when we see him. Maybe he he may make a special appearance, but whether we see him or not, he's organizing our footsteps and he's guiding us through this thing called life. Brothers and sisters, God is the director of our story and the central characters in the story. In this story, I should say, are Esther, Vashti, King Xerxes. Mordecai and Haman. And brothers and sisters, I encourage you to go back and read the book of Esther for yourselves. It's not very long at all. The book of Esther only is comprised of 10 chapters. And if you don't like reading, you can go to your Bible app and listen to it on audio. Brothers and sisters, it's a really good book. If you like drama, if you like love story, if you like all types of actions and things going on, the book of Esther has it all. And brothers and sisters, I encourage you to read it. But brothers and sisters, to get full and full understanding of what's happening here in the text, we have to look at King Xerxes. Now, in some translations, he may be known as King Ahasuerus. However, the biblical scholars have learned that this name is, also, is one of King Xerxes' many names because during this time, the Persians just didn't refer to themselves by one name. They would also have many names in which they were referred to. And brothers and sisters, this Persian king is also known as Xerxes. Xerxes isn't just any king. He is a king that has a lot of power. He's a king that ruled over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. That's a lot of land. Brothers and sisters, and where we find ourselves in the text in chapter 1 of Esther is that this king, this Persian king Xerxes, is hosting a feast for 180 days to show his power, to show his wealth, to show his splendor of his kingdom. And brothers and sisters, he invites his nobles to this 180 day feast. And he invites his nobles from all over the provinces just so they can enjoy some of his wealth, just so they can see the power of his glory. Brothers and sisters, needless to say, King Xerxes is not a Christian. Needless to say, King Xerxes is a pagan and he looks at himself as God. 
But brothers and sisters, it's amazing how God will take the very things you think you control to show you that you're not in control. Let me give you a breakdown of what kind of party King Xerxes was having. Brothers and sisters, it said, if you go to verse 4, while he displayed the great wealth of his kingdom and splendor and pomp of his majesty for many days, 180 days in all. When these days were completed, the king gave for all of his people present in the citadel of Susa, both great and small, another banquet lasting for seven days. And brothers and sisters, you can imagine a party. You know how some people, they like to party their whole birthday month. And, and, and a month only pretty much at most is comprised, comprised of 31 days, right? 30 to 31 days, sometimes shorter. This king, he had a party for what does it say again? Let's get it right. For many days, 180 days in all. These people should have been partied out. But after that party, he goes and throws another party. The first party was for the VIPs and the nobles. The second party is for the commoners, brothers and sisters. And let me tell you what he did for that party. He said, both great and small were invited. A banquet lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king. There were white cotton curtains, blue hanging tied with cords of fine linen, purple and silver rings, marble pillars, and their couches of gold and silver, and mascot pavement of poetry and marble, mother of pearl and colored stones. Here we go. This is some people's favorite part. Drinks were served in golden goblets of different kind, and royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. Drink was by flagons. Without, with, without restraint. Let me not stumble over that. Let me say that again. Drinks was by flagons without restraint. For the king had given orders to all the officials of the palace to do as each one desired. Brothers and sisters, he had a party and the drink never ran out. And not only did the drink never run out, you could get any alcohol that you wanted. Brothers and sisters, this King Xerxes is trying to show the nation and everyone around him that he's the life of the party, that he's in control. He's trying to show his wealth, his power, his splendor, and his control over people. And brothers and sisters, while he's showing off all of these things, there's a hiccup in his plan. Brothers and sisters, some people might argue, what good is it to have a party if you don't have beautiful women? King Xerxes would second that motion. So he decided to bring the most beautiful woman of all. And he requests his wife to come wearing the crown so he could parade her around. He requests his wife, Queen Vashti. And brothers and sisters, once he sends the seven eunuchs to go get Queen Vashti, Queen Vashti sends a message back to the seven eunuchs to the king that she's not coming. Hold on. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me that a man that has all this money, that he controls lands, he can summon people from all over the country, he has wine flowing for days. He has gold and silver couches and goblets and, and marble and, and mother of pearl, all this stuff. He has all this stuff in his beckoning car. But the text is showing 
that he can't get his own wife to come to the party. The text is showing that he doesn't have control over his own household. And brothers and sisters, God is trying to show him that what you thought you control. God is trying to show him that what you thought you were running, even within your own household, you're not in control. Brothers and sisters, Queen Vashti rejects the king's request to make a public appearance. We're at verse 12. You see, the message here, just in case you forgot it, is God will use what we think we control to remind us who's in control. Remember, this isn't a lesson they would have received back then because King Xerxes was too mad at the time. He's trying to figure out what, what's going on with his wife. But brothers and sisters, what this brings to our attention and what this shows us is Xerxes felt that because he was king and because she was the queen and his wife and a woman, she should be at his beckoning call. Mind you, just because he's a king, he feels as though I control everything in my vision. I have people coming from all over the world. I control over, what does the text say? Ruled over 127 provinces. His feeling is, who are you to tell me you're not coming? And brothers and sisters, that is an issue we're seeing in today's society. That is an issue we're seeing in our households where we feel as men as though we control women, where we feel as men we need to parade women's beauty around for our own personal satisfaction. And brothers and sisters, we see a woman in the text that's tired of being used for her body. We see a woman in the text that's tired of being used for her visual appearance. We see a woman in the text that knows who she is and who she is. And she says, not today. I'm not coming. You're not about to show me off today. And brothers and sisters, what we see here in the text is an example of a woman standing firm in her belief. Brothers and sisters, this is an example of how women didn't even have free will during that time. And what Queen Vashti does is show or try to take control of her own autonomy by saying, I can make the personal decision to not come. I can make the decision to not be at somebody's beckoning call. And what we find ourselves doing here in the text, some people find themselves judging Vashti. Some people find themselves judging the king. And brothers and sisters, whether you're on the king's side or whether you're on Vastai's side, what you must keep in mind is the simple fact that even you have autonomy. Even you have free will. And that even though we serve a God that is all-powerful, a serve a God that is all-knowing, even though we serve a God that is author and finisher of our faith, he gives us the free will to choose or reject him. Brothers and sisters, free will is the freedom to make our own decisions and the autonomy to govern ourselves. You see, God doesn't control us to make us believe in him. God gives us choice to choose. One of the most profound theological statements that I heard from Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who was an archbishop in South Africa, 
in the Anglican Church. He said, God would much rather I freely go to hell than compel me to go to heaven. Meditate on that. Think about that. God rather let you run on to hell if that's what you choose to do than make you come to heaven. And brothers and sisters, I'm thankful for serving a God that doesn't make me worship him, but just wants me to love and worship him out of the own volition of my heart. Brothers and sisters, God gives us the autonomy and choose him for ourselves. And we see here in the text the reason why we don't have ultimate power. Because if we did, we would try to control people in any and every situation. And brothers and sisters, you can find yourself asking, well, do we really have free will? I go back and forth with my mother on this concept. She's on the side that she don't think we have free will. I'm on the side where I think we do. But I think God's plan, plan and God's power is so, magnet, is so big that regardless of what we choose, it still falls within his plan. And what that does is put me in mind of Proverbs chapter 20, verse 24, that says, A person's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his own way? This reminds me of Jeremiah 29, 11. It's something I love to quote. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope for a future. And brothers and sisters, these scriptures are a testament and a reminder that God will use what we think we control to remind us Who's in control? Brothers and sisters, God will factor in our very personalities. God will factor in decisions that we're going to make before we even make them because he's in control. He is Alpha and Omega and he knows who we are from beginning to end. And isn't it comforting to know, brothers and sisters, that we serve a God that is in control. But come with me in the text. One man's mistake, here we go, one king's mistake of thinking he controlled a woman almost cost him his kingdom and forced him to stop the party and change the festivities to a state of emergency. Let me say that one more time. I said one man's mistake of thinking that he controlled women almost cost him his kingdom and forced him to stop the party and change the festivities to a state of emergency. Pastor, what are you talking about? Brothers and sisters, if you read this story thoroughly, you'll see it's almost as though God made a little joke amongst himself and probably with the angels. I can see God laughing and God saying to himself, when Vashti says she's not coming, I thought you were in control. It's almost God is making, though God is making fun of him, I thought you had everything under your control. Looks like your household isn't in order. And brothers and sisters, we can see the state of emergency evident in verse 9 and verse 18. Let me go there with you. Hold on. This is why you got to have your Bibles out. Brothers and sisters, right after the part in verse 8, where it tells us King Xerxes has the drinks flowing, that he's the life of the party. It says, furthermore, in verse 9, Queen Vashti was also giving a banquet for the women in the palace of King Xerxes, right? 
So she's also throwing a banquet at this time. Watch this. Here we go. But the interesting part, the scary part for the king is that he summoned her from her own banquet and she rejects him. And she rejects him in front of the people at his banquet. And brothers and sisters, if we go to verse 18, we'll see their number one concern. It says, in verse 18, this very day, the nobles, the ladies of the Persians and the Medes who have heard of the queen's behavior will rebel against the king's officials and there will be no end of contempt and wrath. Brothers and sisters, one woman's rejection of the king has brought the empire under a state of emergency because now the king is worried that all the women of the empire will start rejecting their husbands, that all the women of the empire will be empowered by one woman, woman, that all the women of the empire will now look at her example for how they need to live and how they need to respond to their husbands when they don't want to do something. Brothers and sisters, he's trying to stop an uprising. That's the power of one woman. That's the power you all have. Brothers and sisters, King Xerxes is embarrassed and concerned the other women of his kingdom will hear about this and rebel against their conditions and their men. King Xerxes is only concerned about his reputation and power. But brothers and sisters, God uses this to show him the women he underestimated, to show him the women he marginalized to show him the women he passed up for promotion, to show him the women he physically abused, to show him the women that were sexually assaulted, to show him the women that are subjugated to male patriarchy will be the very ones to destroy his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, God has not forgotten about women. God sees your heartache and pain. God is working to level the playing field, just give him time. You see, brothers and sisters, Queen Vashti has caused a national state of emergency. And King Queen Vashti's actions are still a part of God's plan. Brothers and sisters, God uses the arrogance of the Persian King Xerxes and confidence of Queen Vashti to open the door for Esther. Hold on. I, 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 I don't want you to miss this. This one verse, verse 12, that I pointed out to you in the beginning, verse 12 that I read before the sermon started, this one verse, this one decision by the queen could start a rebellion on one end, but also opens the door for Queen Esther on the other end. Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, what I'm trying to show you is what they did to Queen Esther is they got rid of they, the, the party then turned into a meeting. It turned into a meeting, and although they were drunk, because during this time they handled state, 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 state business while they were drunk, because there was this belief that while they drank and while they ain't, the truth would come out, and they could handle business um, at a truthful level that would be more different than if they tried to handle it sober. I, I, I know that doesn't make sense. However, that's the way they thought back then. So they had a whole town hall meeting while they were eating and drinking, and said, what should we do with this woman? Who does this woman think she is? 
And watch this. Come down to verse 21. Matter of fact, go to verse 20. It says, so when the decree was made by the king, proclaiming throughout all his kingdom, vast as it is, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. The king made a decree after this. And brothers and sisters, this advice pleased the king. And the king did as he was advised. And he sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script and every people in their own language, declaring that every man should be master in his own house. And brothers and sisters, what they did, they got rid of uh, Queen Vashti. They put out a decree saying no women could rebel against the men. And then they opened up a pageant. And this is where... Watch this. Queen Esther comes on the scene. Brothers and sisters, just hanging out right there in the text, I want to show you that although it may be perceived that Queen Vashti failed because she lost her crown as a queen, actually in her failure, we see success. Brothers and sisters, if you don't get anything else from this, I want you to understand that sometimes your failures will open doors to your success. Sometimes your failures will open doors. Your success will never open. Brothers and sisters, Jay-Z, who just sold a lot of, 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 of um, many of his businesses, which he just had for over $400 million, who's at the pinnacle of success, who's had the best rap and hip-hop success for the last 20 or almost 30 years, even he said, I've learned from more from my failures than I've ever learned from my success. Brothers and sisters, he said it's through failure that he learned where he needs to improve. It's through failure that he learned where he needed to up his game. It's through failure that took him from the complacency and took him from the comfortability that success brought him. Brothers and sisters, he said success makes you comfortable. Success makes you feel good, but failure is what truly gets you the improvement. And brothers and sisters, we can see that Queen Esther is elevated when, King, when Queen Vashti is demoted. And now, brothers and sisters, he's gotten rid of one queen and finds a new queen. And the first queen publicly defies him while the second queen, Queen Esther, subtly controls him. Brothers and sisters, this is the power of women. This is how God uses women in the Bible to give you more context to the text. God is only concerned about one thing. What I left out in the beginning is the very fact that the Israelites, these Jews, are under Persian rule. These Jews, Jews are under the rule of a Persian king and a Persian empire. And God is trying to save his people from annihilation from these Persians. Brothers and sisters, while Esther has become queen, there has been a plot to annihilate and ex exterminate all of the Jewish people. And brothers and sisters, now Esther is in position as queen to save God's people. And brothers and sisters, we can come a little bit further along in the text when we get to chapter 4, verse 13. Where Mordecai, her cousin, is talking to her and reminds her that she was put in position, that she was created for such 
a time as this. Brothers and sisters, Mordecai reminds her, don't get all comfortable just because you're up there in the palace. Don't get all comfortable because you think you're removed from our situation. Brothers and sisters, I've even heard Minister Louis Farrakhan say that no one individual can rise above the condition of their people. And brothers and sisters, Mordecai is reminding Queen Esther that she cannot rise above the condition of her Jewish people just because she is queen and God has ordained her in this moment to take her power and her influence and influence this Persian king and brothers and sisters what we see is that now God is still controlling. God is still pulling the strings. God is still the master director saving his people, saving his children. And it's not just God doing it by himself. God is doing it through the help of women. Brothers and sisters, these are some powerful women in the Bible. These are some powerful women that show us God's willingness to use not only men, but also women to make change in an empire. God is willing to use anybody and anyone who is a willing vessel. And brothers and sisters, Queen Esther saves her people by advocating that they be saved. Brothers and sisters, Queen Esther uses her position as queen that has been opened up by Queen Vashti being rejected and demoted through her failure. Now Queen Esther has been elevated to influence the king to save her people. Brothers and sisters, if you don't get anything else, I want you to gain from this text the very things that we think we control. God will show us that he's the one actually in control. Brothers and sisters, the king of Persia used his power to get rid of one king, queen, then throw a pageant to bring a lot of other women in to pick another queen to show his control. And the queen he chooses has more influence on his policies and procedures than anyone he's been with in the past. Brothers and sisters, this is the power of women in the Bible. Brothers and sisters, what does this sound like? This sounds like Proverbs 20, 24. A person's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand their own way? This sounds like Jeremiah 29, verses 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope for a better future. Brothers and sisters, he factored King Xerxes' personality. He, God is factored. Queen Vastai's personality, he put them together, had them fall out, and he factored in who he would need to save his people. Brothers and sisters, it goes to show that God factors in our successes and God factors in our failures and that God is in ultimate control of both. So you don't have to worry from beginning to end. You don't have to worry how things are going to work out because God is still in control. Brothers and sisters, this man thought he was in control. This Persian King Xerxes thought he was in control. He thought he was making his own decisions. But the story of Esther shows us God is really calling the shot. 
Isn't it good to know that God has plans for your life? Isn't it good to know that God will do all he can to save his people? Isn't it good to know that God will use the arrogance of men and the willingness of women to fulfill his plan? That means, brothers and sisters, you don't have to worry who's in office creating policies. Because God is in control. You don't have to worry about a virus or the effectiveness or a vaccine because God is in control. You don't have to worry about your job or how you'll make ends meet because God is in control. You don't have to worry about trifling friends and family members because God is in control. You don't have to worry about failed relationships and how they'll be mended or how you'll be able to move forward from the trauma because God is in control. You don't have to worry about all the hurt and pain you felt as a child from things that you've gone through childhood trauma that you felt because God is in control we serve a God that was in control yesterday is in control today and will be in control tomorrow God has a way of using what we think we control or using what other people think they control in our lives to remind us who is in control Brothers and sisters, moving forward, let us see women in the Bible for more than their childbearing ability. Let us see women in the Bible for more than their physical beauty. Let us see women in the Bible for more than their charming ability to influence men. Instead, let us remember women in the Bible, such as Deborah, who was a judge and a prophet of Israel. Let us remember women in the Bible, such as Hannah, who was the mother of Samuel and dedicated her first son to God. Let us remember women in the Bible, such as Rahab, who hid the spies to help the army of the Lord overtake the city of Jericho. Let us remember women in the Bible, such as Bathsheba, who advocated for her son Solomon to be king after David. Let us remember in the women in the Bible. Such as Mary, mother of Jesus, who although she didn't understand how she was going to give birth as a virgin, still was willing to be a vessel used by God. Remember the power of women. And let us view their input not as something small, not as just something that we overlook to get to the major figures of men in the Bible, but let's look as women in the Bible as equal players to men. Brothers and sisters, I'm so thankful for you joining us this Sunday for worship. And I wanna let you know that regardless of if you're a man or if you're a woman, salvation is still open to you. Regardless of whether or not you felt like this message was for you and you felt like it was more woman-centered and you're more of a man, God still is for you. Brothers and sisters, what this shows us is God takes care of even those that are considered the least of these by society. And we see, and we see historically throughout the Bible where women have been treated as the least of these by men. Brothers and sisters, we can be thankful for the strides we've made throughout history where women are now somewhat having some of the same rights as men, but there's still work that needs to be done. And brothers and sisters, especially my brothers, I challenge you to view our women with more respect. And if you're in a position that you can advocate for women to take leadership roles 
advocate for women to be respected and not subjected to all types of things based off of their appearance. I pray that you do so. So brothers and sisters, at this time, if you're looking for a church home, or if you're looking for a deeper relationship with God, what I offer to you is a relationship with God through believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Because brothers and sisters, that's the only way that you'll truly be able to have the change you wish to see in your life. Keep in mind that you aren't in control, but God gives you the free will to choose him so that you can be a part of the plan he has set for you. Brothers and sisters, thank you so much for joining us and thank you so much for taking one more stride in having a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless you and amen.